I, I swear, I kid you not, this entire park is absolutely 100% haunted. You can't go anywhere in that park without um, there being some sort of energy or feeling connected to it. My home state has one theme park. It's 140 years old, and like all good theme parks and all good theaters, it's haunted. I'm Dory Peacock, and this is The Ghost Box. Railroad tycoon Simon Bamberger was building a railroad line from Salt Lake City to the town of Ogden, 40-ish miles to the north. Problem was, who would want to go to Ogden from Salt Lake? Luckily for Simon, he was part owner of a failed resort on the shores of the Great Salt Lake. Simon bought the old resort buildings from his co-owners and moved them to the edge of a small lake, a lagoon if you will in the small town of Farmington, conveniently located near his new railway. Voila! Lagoon Amusement Park was born. To this day, Lagoon is as much a Utah institution as the Capitol Building, Temple Square, or Deadly Highway 6. It's the only full-scale amusement park in the state, and if you ask me, it kind of owns... I'm going to get made fun of for saying that, but seriously, it's very cool. And full disclosure, I'm not being sponsored for this episode. I just find this amusement park very, very cool. Lagoon didn't stay a little campground with a bandstand. No, no. It grew beyond Simon Bamberger's wildest dreams. In the early 20th century, its new owners put in one of the largest freshwater swimming pools in the country. Rides followed. You could paddle around in the lagoon in a little boat, you could bet on horse races, you could dance with your sweetie at the dance pavilion or the ball grounds, and in 1921, Lagoon got its first roller coaster, designed and built for the park by John A. Miller himself. Okay, for non-dorks, John Miller is the guy who designed the first modern roller coasters, and he basically built Coney Island. Only we got him first. Coney Island's famous cyclone is six years younger than the roller coaster at Lagoon. Eat it, East Coast. But I digress. The original roller coaster is still there and still operational, and the park has grown up around it. The park really started to boom in the 1950s when the owners began buying rides from other theme parks around the country. Soon, they were commissioning unique roller coasters designed and built specifically for Lagoon. A new midway was added with a fun house and ghost train ride. In the 70s, the park owners acquired a replica pioneer village that had been operating in Salt Lake's Sugar House neighborhood and moved it up to Farmington to be part of the park. Every time something old was removed, something new was added, and little touches of the past were preserved. My favorite attractions are the turn of the century and the old carousel. Turn of the century is a really beautiful swing ride that was built in 86 to commemorate the park's centennial. And the carousel is one of the last wooden Victorian carousels in operation today. Fewer than 170 of these old carousels exist, and we have one of them. It's 
awesome. The whole park is just such a cool, fun mishmash of old and new theme park elements, which makes the history of the park feel palpable. And the history can be a little dark. There were uh, quite a few documented deaths in the park when it was still just a water park. This is Rachel. Rachel worked at Lagoon as a teenager. She knows all the ins and outs and quite a bit of the history. Um, There was one that I found that a woman um, fell off one of the little paddle boats in the the lake that's there, this kind of like pond, I guess now they've mostly drained it and her skirts were so heavy, it pulled her down and she wasn't able to come back to the surface. So there were um, a few drownings. From the time that I was a kid, I I knew of two um, definite um, documented deaths. There was one where a child fell out of the kitty roller coaster called Puff the Magic Dragon and stood up um, and actually stood up under the tracks after he fell out and the roller coaster came around the bend and decapitated him. Um, there was another one that I, I think was in the early 90s where a girl wasn't strapped in tight enough in the old white roller coaster, which is one of the oldest roller coasters in the country. Um, so cool. Uh, that roller coaster is original to the park, was built right there on the property. But she fell out of that as well and um, fell to her death. So there's at least those two child deaths that we know of. Um, It's speculated that there's a lot more, but people don't talk about it. Most theme parks have a body count. They are dangerous places where accidents happen easily. So, yes, people die more often than anyone would like in theme parks. And wherever people die the dead tend to stick around. So there's an arcade there. Uh Um, So if you're familiar, it's, so there's Dracula's castle, which is like one of the, you know, spooky, you're sitting in a cart riding through rides. And then that's attached to the big arcade. Well, that whole area um, from Dracula's castle to the arcade used to all be the dance pavilion. Uh, The Beach Boys played right there. Um, It burned down. There was a fire. There were casualties from the fire. Completely uh, built back up, um, but the the structure, everything stayed the same. So they built Dracula's castle into this haunted area, um, and then they put in a whole bunch of, like, arcade games um, into the the rest of it. It's no longer a dance floor. Um, So I had friends that worked in there And they said that very few people would work in there more than once or twice. It was the hardest place for them to get filled. Uh, But because there were definitely still spirits there from the fire, um, especially a little girl. Um, So when you're in there multiple times, if you go into the right spots, you'll smell smoke. And it's probably because they just, they really did build build the structure back up around what was still existing there. Um, either that or it is that kind of echo coming back from the past, but you can smell burnt smoke really strong as you're walking through there sometimes. Um, but multiple friends of mine that worked in games, um, they, they would tell me that as they would closing up, um, they'd be chasing around a little girl that wouldn't leave. And I guess she uh, was always carrying something. Um, I don't know if it was, I think it was a teddy bear or a doll. 
and she had a, a little uh, light blue dress on that went to her knees. They'd hear her giggling, they'd hear her running through, and they'd try to look for her thinking that, um, you know, obviously we've got a kid that's trying to stow away, we've got to find the kid's parents, somebody's looking for this kid. And when they would find her, and they usually did, um, they'd either see her from the side or behind, and if she turned towards them and look, she was completely burned. She was, um, I mean, burnt to a crisp on half of her body. So uh, they swore by that, completely freaked out. I saw so many people that, that actually quit after working in there that I tend to believe that there's some validity to those stories. Um, just that that little girl is in there and she does play with uh, the employees a lot. She does um, make herself noticed. And I don't think she's a, you know, a sad or an angry ghost. I think she's just a, a lonely ghost that's in there. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that when their kids are, are in there um, playing on the arcade games, they'll talk about how a little girl came up and talked to them too. Now, I don't know if they saw her burned or not, but um, there was always, um, there were always stories of this, this little girl in old time clothes that didn't belong there. Um, as a teenager, you know, I'd go in there again with, you know, boys that I had crushes on um, to play arcade games. Um, it would be strange sometimes because it would almost feel like there was somebody standing right next to you or like trying to hold your hand, like there was a little kid trying to get your attention. Um, but I, I never saw the little girl myself. Uh, just knowing she was in there kind of was enough to uh, freak me out that I would never go in there after it was closed. Rachel hasn't seen any child ghosts at Lagoon, but I talked with a woman, Jody, who has, though... Not in the Midway Arcade. So just to give some backstory, I was, I'm 51 years old now. So this was back in 1977, 1978, when I was about seven or eight years old. And my parents took us to Lagoon every single summer. That was the thing we did. And Pioneer Village was, I mean, pretty kind of a new thing, you know, at this time. And we were in the little area where they have like the old hearse and the old doctor's buggy and... um all those kinds of cool old, you know, horse-drawn carriages that they would bring around. My parents had kind of walked ahead, and I think they thought I was with them. But I saw this little girl, and she was probably about my age at the time, so about seven or eight. And, you know, I spoke with her, and we were playing in that, and she was in pioneer dress. And But there was a lot of people in pioneer dress. You know, they had the actors, they had the people helping out in the museums and the stores. So I just thought she was part of, you know, the thing they had going on Pioneer Village. Well, my parents, I heard them call me, so I went back and they said, where were you? And I said, well, I was playing with a little girl that works here. And there was a lady there that was giving some information out about the hearses and the buggies and what they were used for and those kinds of things. And um, she said, we don't have any little kids that work here. And I didn't know that kids didn't work. You know, I just figured she was an actress or whatever. And she says, well, what did she look like? And I kind of explained to her, you know, she had long curly hair. She was in a pioneer dress. And I think she said her name was Ella or something to that effect. She goes, well, that's really strange. So she thought maybe there was a lost child or something like that. So she got on the radio with her supervisor and the supervisor said, oh, that's Ella. That's the little ghost. 
she's been seen by quite a few people. So for like 45 minutes, I've been playing with a little ghost. So Ella is a mystery. Is she a child lost in the dance pavilion fire? Or did she come with the pioneer village? Or maybe there are two child ghosts. The Pioneer Village seems to be a hub of paranormal activity. Remember, the village was brought to Lagoon from Salt Lake, and not all of the buildings were original to that location. I'll let Rachel explain it. The whole idea behind it was um, in the Pioneer Village, they've got these houses that they've picked up and moved from other places to actually set up a a a pioneer style village um, with shops and um, houses and museums, just kind of a little bit of everything here and there thrown in there. Um, They're not original to the park. So uh, except for the train station, Um, everything else has been brought in all around the the pioneer village. Um, Some of the places I refused to go into because the, just the feeling was so, scary so terrifying Um, one of them was an old livery station Um, it's right next to the old train station and um, it's got a fake horse in it it's just it's a tiny little shack that has a fake horse in it and it's pitch black Um, when you go up to look at it in the daylight you know there are saddles and reins and things like that hanging in there but it was so oppressive over there that I refused to even walk past I would literally cross the path when leaving the telephone museum so I wouldn't have to walk in front of that. It always felt like there was somebody crouched in there that was angry that was going to to reach out and grab you. That might have just been how paranoid I was when I was, you know, 15 years old, but <laughs> um, it just was absolutely terrifying to walk past. There's a old um, transportation museum there that has some carriages and carts and bicycles and things like that. Um, And they've got an old hearse in there. And it's happened more than once to me that I've walked up to that hearse or started approaching it, like turned the corner, and you could hear the sound of horses. And again, there's no audio equipment in there. There's no TVs. They don't spend that much money on the museum, just general upkeep. So there's no sound effects in there at all. But you can can typically, if it's quiet enough and there's few enough people in there, you can hear the sound of horses over by the hearse. The old livery stable. Everyone I talked to had experiences in Pioneer Village, and many of them centered around the old stable. Enter Cordell, ghost hunter extraordinaire. The most interesting building that I I had multiple experiences from disembodied voices and um, visual uh, was the carriage house, which... Uh, houses the carriage collection, a uh, fantastic collection of old carriages from hearse to stagecoaches, um, just regular carriages, all kinds. It was, it's, they're magnificent. And I, I went in there thinking, oh, this is a, a fairly new building. It was built in the seventies. There isn't going to be anything in here. I wasn't too thrilled about investigating that building because there were so many and it turns out that turned out to be one of the most active buildings for us. Cordell and his team investigated Lagoon a few times, so the incidents you're about to hear didn't necessarily happen on the same investigation. We had uh, there's some there was a staircase in the back that went up to um, some other rooms, 
we kept hearing somebody come down. I would be uh, standing by, we'd hear somebody coming down the stairs. And the first time it happened, I was, you know, when something like that happens, there's a door there, you expect the door, you look at the door expecting somebody to come out, nobody comes out, the footsteps stop and you're wondering what is who's the, and so i went over there opened up the door blackness there's no lights on up there uh nobody uh so and that happened like three different times you could hear somebody coming down the stairs it was always coming down the stairs i don't know why we never heard going up but coming down it was yeah and we never every time so eventually uh, we left the door open. Anytime the door was open, nothing happened. When the door was closed, we'd hear the footsteps, tried to put cameras on it, etc. Nothing ever happened uh, with a camera on it or with the door open. That was really weird. Um, you, you tend, um, you take it in sections because it's rather large and people are attracted to certain carriages we always had multiple investigators in there. The times I was in there, I was usually in there with one of our female investigators, one or two of them. Um, and, and and so you, you do EVP sessions and that's what happened this time. We, we had heard disembodied voices, at least what appeared to be. We're, we're, we're staying around talking, there's three of us, and we heard a female voice in the distance with us. Where is that coming from? Is it is one of the employees here? I went around, searched the whole building. No other person was there. And I went, wow, that was weird. And so went back doing our, our thing. We we're setting up some equipment. And all of a sudden, another uh, female voice, same female voice again, <laughs> did the same thing, couldn't find it. This happened repeatedly, a female voice what we call a disembodied voice kept occurring um, and it was always a female and so we stopped and it was in front of one of the hearse I think it was a white hearse they had several there um, and and the reason we did that is because that appeared to be where this female voice was coming from by this white hearse um, and so we thought, well, let's do an EVP session here. So we were asking the general questions is, uh, you know, who's here? Uh, what's your name? Uh, and we met, we'd ask questions about the Hearst and everything. Um, that's when it happened. What happened was that one of the female ghost hunters felt a tug on her jacket. She jumped and let out kind of a scream. <laughs> and at that moment in time, I, I swore I saw a black, uh, something black. I, I can't even tell you if it was human shaped or not. It was really fast. And it moved from the side of her into a carriage or um, near this, um, it was, uh, I'm trying to, it was a, it was a hearst. They have like six, seven hearse in their carriages. And it moved directly towards that and disappeared. It all happened in like, you know, a second, second and a half. It was so quick. Um, that was one of the more startling instances because I was standing right there. I saw it. She thought her jacket was pulled down 
she jumped, screamed. All this happened in just a couple seconds. And when something like that happens to you, that's that's um, it takes a while for your mind to try to process it. I was there another investigation right in front of the white hearse because you tend to start gravitating towards where you had experiences. Um, I was with a male investigator this time and multiple times we saw something black move behind the Blackhurst, which was probably about uh, 25 feet in front of us, 20, maybe 30 feet in front of us. He saw it first and goes, did you see that? He goes, I just saw something. And we, you know, he shined his flashlight over there and no, didn't say anything. And we're talking, so now I'm looking over there because that's what you do, right? Somebody sees something, you start paying attention to that area. And then it looked just for a second, uh, maybe a second and a half, it looked like there was two legs that walked behind this black hearse. So we started concentrating on that. Never saw it again, Um, but I did see it. He saw it, uh, neither one of us saw it the same time the other saw it. So now, unfortunately, uh, we never caught it on video. Um, It's also funny, uh, in that carriage house, we put video, camcorders, audio everywhere um, as these experience, experiences and things started mounting and more and more stuff started happening and what always happened is wherever we pointed the video camera like with the white hearse or the black hearse nothing would happen take the video camera away (laughs) something would happen so uh anybody going there you might not want to take a can't use your phone or anything go there without that maybe you'll experience something (laughs) dang No footage of the black figure or the footsteps. But Cordell's team was luckier with the female voice. And we actually caught her on audio. And we have several pieces of audio uh, to validate what we heard. And it's definitely a female voice. Some are very clear. Cordell sent me a copy of the EVP. I'm going to play it for you now without any commentary. I'm doing this because if I tell you what Cordell hears or what I hear... It will change how you interpret the audio. After the EVP, you'll hear what Cordell has to say, and if you want to rewind and listen, you can. Full disclosure, I did turn up the volume on the part of the clip that has the EVP. Cordell told me that he hears an unintelligible male voice, followed by a female voice saying, I love you too, my papa. I hear the same thing. But I heard the clip after Cordell told me his interpretation. The more interesting thing to me is that Cordell and the gang heard a voice at the time of the recording. Most EVPs aren't heard at the time. They're discovered later when listening back. So this one is pretty remarkable. It's fascinating me. It's every time I hear it, it brings up emotions for me. 
and also I'm, I'm bewildered by it because it's the carriage house there's just carriages in there what is going on with this why why is there a woman that appears to be talking to her father in kind of an old-fashioned way papa um what's going on where did they come from what's their story why are what are they associated with a building that was built in the 70s it does seem strange that one of the newest buildings in the pioneer village would be the most haunted but don't worry the older buildings have their share of paranormal energy and dark lore there's this uh one big house that has kind of a legend attached to it um the legend was that it was the caretaker of the park's house and he had a wife and a daughter. And for whatever reason, um, he left the daughter behind in the attic one year over the winter. Um, he hid her away. Uh, there were things that were speculations like she was pregnant or she fell in love with somebody she was not supposed to love or that she was just, um, you know, subordinate, um, and uh, belligerent to her parents. So they leave this uh, like preteen girl, 11, 12, 13-ish behind, and she wastes away in the attic. She cannot get out. And she scratches the word help into the window pane. Um, and the next spring when the gardeners and the caretakers and everybody came back, they see the word help that's scratched into the window. They know somebody's been trapped up there and they, they rush into the attic. I believe they break the attic door down and they find this little girl has died from starvation. Um, obviously that was a big urban legend. However, it's always been kind of weird because if you go to that house, and this house now houses the telephone museum there, there is the word help scratched into the window. As soon as you go into the building, you look up and you can see it on the first um, upper window. Cordell investigated this house. He calls it the Dorn or the Dern house. One security guard, again, the Dern house, which seemed to be... Uh, had a lot of focus as far as paranormal activity, a lot of stories. Um, and the front of the house, um, one security guard said that he saw multiple times somebody walking in the front parlor, which would have been the front parlor of the house, through the windows, a dark black uh, human-shaped figure. And... Um, he said the first time they went and he went and checked out the house, nobody was in there, all the doors were locked. And that's when they started getting a little freaked out about it. Uh, but that apparently happened two or three times where they would see somebody walking in the parlor. And this would have been, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning, a dark shadow. Um, now, my experience with the door. Um, I was standing outside. I was. I, I came from the top attic, down the stairs, went around to the. Was going to the front. This uh, baseball-sized ball of light, which was grayish white, floated along the house, went up uh, across the lawn into a tree, and then literally the only way I can describe it is that it exploded. It, it lit up the whole tree. 
and it all happened in like two milliseconds three milliseconds it just and i was just standing there going what was that and so i'm because when things like this happen your brain logically is trying to figure out and make sense of it i i don't know what that was so the next time i went we investigated the dern or the pioneer village i went back there started taking photos didn't capture anything um but about two hours later again i walked around the dern and in the upstairs attic window all of a sudden a flash of light lit up that whole attic and the window i went up there the door was uh, unlocked i was um literally like five seconds from the stairs um there was nobody up there i do not know where that light came from i have no idea it was in the old house that rachel had her most memorable experience basically on weekends um you're not allowed to ride the rides, but you can hang out in the park if you're an employee. So I spent a lot of time just hanging out with friends, um, just getting into trouble, trying to meet boys, you know, whatever 14, 15 and 16 year olds do. And um, one year, I think I was probably uh, the second year that I worked there. So I was 15. Um, me and some of my friends on a on a Saturday where we couldn't ride rides, uh, we decided we were going to go into the old Pioneer Village and do a seance, uh, which was a really harebrained idea in the first place. Anyway, um, we wanted to contact this girl ghost, and um, we went into the telephone museum. Now, the way that this is set up is um, it is this old house. Uh, that's got two main rooms, um, a little entryway like parlor, and then like a, a room kind of off to the side that just has like a, a desk and some office equipment, um, old office equipment. This is all a museum. So you go in and to the left, um, there are all of these pictures and a display of old telephones. And the pictures are all of various cities in Utah and the old telephone companies and how they linked everything together. It's actually pretty fascinating because you don't think about, you know, phones um, having to go through that that full infrastructure anymore. But they uh, it was a huge deal when they linked up everybody to be able to even speak to each other across the state. So on the right hand side of the museum, when you walk in, there is a big old timey switchboard. The switchboard, I believe, is from the uh, 1920s or 1930s, and it's still got all of the wires and the knobs and things like that. And then there's a picture of uh, women that would work those switchboards. Um, and then behind you is um, another display of uh, just kind of the evolution of switchboards and telephones again. Um, and there's nothing else in this museum. There's no speakers, there's no uh, televisions, there's no video or audio or anything going on anywhere in there. It's it's literally just an old house that has some things behind plexiglass. So we uh, sit in the room with the switchboards. We're all sitting around in a circle and <laughs> my uh, friend, her name was Bridget. She was a couple years older than me and she's doing some chanting, you know, spirits to the east, spirits to the west, hear our calls. 
And uh, I'm sitting there giggling because I'm, I'm in there with uh, my cousin and um, another girl of ours uh, and this boy that I have a huge crush on. So I'm trying to, um, you know, make sure that I look cool and I'm not taking it too seriously. And nothing happens. Uh, you know, we do what we do as teenagers and, you know, we start all giggling at once and we start trying to make sounds to scare each other, but we know, you know, it's coming from the person sitting next to you. So the whole seance thing was pointless. So we're sitting there now just hanging out, chilling, laughing, giggling, you know, I'm flirting with this boy that is a crush of mine. And all of a sudden in the room, the atmosphere, the temperature, the feeling of the entire building just shifted. And it started to come in like waves really quiet at first and you could actually hear the sounds of the switchboard operators talking and switching things and this kind of like multiple voices bustling and it built and built and built until it was booming so loud I could actually see the plexiglass vibrating and again, there were no speakers in there at all. It was like all of a sudden there was this time shift and we actually hear everything that had gone through this old switchboard. And uh, me and the, the friend Bridget, we look at each other like huge wide eyes and we book it out of there. We, we run as fast as we can, followed by the other girl in our group. And we're panicking, like white as the sheet can't catch our breath and we're waiting outside for the boys to come out and eventually the boys come out and they're laughing at us and they're like what did you guys run out of here for what what, what was that we were like did you do you guys not hear that like there was something that just happened in there we're like we didn't hear anything the three of us girls were the only ones that heard that full booming and we all heard the exact same thing um it was almost like uh like the women that were working on that operating switchboard somehow reached out to us just to let us know that part of them was still there with us. Um, and to this day, I, I cannot explain it. Um, I went back so many times to try to debunk it. Um, maybe we were hearing an echo from somewhere else in the amusement park. Uh, maybe we were hearing uh, the speaker for a ride that was across this little um, like pond that separates the main part of the park with the rides from the Pioneer Village. And uh, never, I was never able to t kind of uh, put, put a pin in like what really happened. Like there was nothing that could have caused that outside of the fact that, that something happened in there that only the three of us girls experienced. Um, and yeah, it still gives me chills to think about. Um, there definitely wasn't a little ghost girl in the attic, but that telephone museum was haunted by some otherworldly force that uh, I, I still cannot explain. It was like a time slip. Yeah, it was. It felt like a time slip, but it also felt like it was just this huge wave of energy that came in and it like woke everything up. Kind of like, you know, in The Shining, um, the hotel wakes up. Uh, it, it kind of felt like that, like the whole house and everything in it just came alive all of a sudden. Rachel's is the first experience I envy. 
I don't know if you've picked up on this, but I'm a bit of a history dork. I would love to slip back in time, even with just a few of my senses, and experience a glimpse of the past like Rachel did. I will probably never have that experience. But the magic of old places, especially old places of entertainment like Lagoon, is that you get to participate in generations of fun. You get to look back at the old and the new together and imagine both the past and the future. In a way, visiting old places is its own kind of time travel or time slip. I'll let Rachel take us out with a nice good night from a friendly ghost. When I got a little bit older, they could have you work later at night. So again, it was like one of these weekends and I'm helping close down this big grill that's up there in that um, pioneer village. And um, one of my coworkers comes running in and he's like, he's outside. And we're all kind of like, who's outside? And this guy, seriously, you know, deadpan, like not joking at all. And he's like, the whistler's outside again. And I thought they were messing with us. You know, me and two other people were brand new up there. This wasn't usually our our station that we worked. And I was like, are you guys, you guys are seriously messing with us, right? Like, you're kidding, right? Like, there's not a ghost out there. I obviously I wanted there to be a ghost out there. But he's like, no, come outside and and you'll you'll see. And I, I look at my supervisor and I was like, am I okay to do that? And she's like, no, let's all go outside. Like, I'm telling you, this is the thing that happens. So we're sitting there at a a little table outside and she's trying to say, you know, hey, are you there? Are you still here with us? I can't hear you anymore, are you here? And uh, we're we're outside for maybe only five minutes and I start hearing footsteps coming up the dirt path. Now, I assumed that this was probably one of our security guards or something. You could actually hear the gravel moving and I look over to the area that it's coming from and I see nobody except for the dust moving like there was somebody shuffling through that dirt path and then it just stopped and we all kind of look at each other weird like okay like is that a thing that just happened it could have been a squirrel it could have been a rat it could have been anything and she kind of like looks at us like hang on a second and she's like hey how are you doing tonight and we get a whistling response it's just like She's like, oh, that's really good here. I'm really glad that you came to join us tonight. And uh, this conversation maybe only lasted another 30 seconds. And then it, it just stopped just as fast as it started. And she's like, oh, well, he's off doing something else right now. He'll probably be back tomorrow night. Um, and like, I'm just completely dumbfounded because I'm thinking that these kids are messing with us because this was just way too good to be true. But apparently it just happened like clockwork every night that um, the people that normally worked at that station, they were so used to it. They knew that this was a, a friendly spirit of some type that meant them no harm and just liked to hang out, uh, walking around, whistling like it was nothing.
you for listening. The Ghost Box is written, produced, hosted, and all the stuff by me, Dory Peacock, with music and mixing by Parker B. Abeg, who also composed our nifty intro and outro music. With help from our four-legged production assistant, George Moosington Adams Esquire, because of course my cat is a lawyer. I want to thank Rachel, Cordell, and Jody, who shared their stories for this episode. I also want to specially thank Dallin, who shared a story that didn't make it into this episode. His stories and a few others will be available as a bonus for our Patreon patrons. Patreon is this nifty website where you can pledge monthly donations to support small creators like yours truly, and in return, you get bonus content and other cool perks. So, if you'd like to toss a coin in the box, as I like to say, head on over to patreon.com slash theghostbox and choose the donation level that suits your needs and start getting in on that sweet, sweet bonus material. Also, if you have a good story that you'd like to share with us, please email us at theghostboxpod at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Instagram and Twitter at theghostboxpod. You can also call our paranormal hotline at 801-410-4315. That's 801-410-4315. Leave a short message with a description of your story and your contact info, and we will get back to you. Finally, if you like the show, rate and review on iTunes or your platform of choice. It helps people find the show. And if you didn't like it, what do you even like, man? I just, I can't figure you out. It's like I don't even know you. Thanks for listening. Stay spooky, everybody. Mismatch, mishmash, kitty move. Kitty, no. Also, oh, there's a kitty.